0: Actually, I got out here on time this morning. Um, Yeah, (laughs) some of you remember I was a little late last week. All I heard about from the the staff was, you know you're supposed to go out during the bumper. (laughs) I heard that about 20 times this last week. But good morning, church. Hey, it's good to be here with you. Uh, uh, Thank you for for coming out and and, uh, being a part of what God is doing uh, here at Edinburgh Church. I'm excited to see your faces. Uh, as many of you know, we are in a, in a series right now called Rebuild, and we're working through the book of, of Nehemiah together. And uh, we've, we've talked about this. We've said, you know, we're in a time of rebuilding in our community. Uh, we're in a time of, of, of rebuilding. Some of us in our own lives have things going on, and we need to, we need to rebuild. Uh, but we also have some rebuilding to do right here at church. Uh, churches have been really affected by covid. And so we're we're eager and excited to get things uh, firing again right here at, at Edinburgh Church. Many years ago, well it was probably about 2, maybe 3 years ago, uh, my kids uh, wanted to get some some candy out of out of the pantry. They were asking me for some candy. We had this uh, like old Halloween, you know, pumpkin with some some old candy in it. And uh, Danielle and I had <laughs> purposefully, intentionally hidden this thing, put it on the, the, the top shelf back in a corner behind some things. But they knew about it and they wanted some candy. So they asked, Dad, can we have some candy? So I got them a piece of candy, got, let them each have one. But that wasn't enough. They wanted more candy. And so, Dad, can we have more candy? I said, no, that's it. That's all you get. So I go upstairs. What I didn't know at the time was that they were formulating a plan how they were going to get more candy. You know, first uh, one of them went into the pantry, thought maybe they could, you know, get up on their tiptoes and um, reach this, this candy. They knew that wasn't going to happen. So I, I find out that one of them went and grabbed a chair, pulled the chair up, and uh, stood on the chair and tried. And they could just get their fingertips on on this bucket of candy, but couldn't quite get it. And so um, they formulated another plan. Now their strategy was Logan and Michaela were were both going to stand up on the chair, and they remembered, we have a two-year-old sister. and, And if we hold her up, she can grab the candy. And so fortunately, I walked into the Downstairs and saw this commotion in the pantry just before they had hoisted our two-year-old daughter up to grab this candy for them. Uh, by the way, um, Callie's broken arm is healing nicely. Why do you ask? Um, she's actually broken it twice. She broke the same... But uh, don't get me started on that. Uh, my point is... Uh, <laughs> My kids realized something that day. They learned that uh, they can accomplish a lot more together than they can by themselves. They intuitively understood, and they had plenty of time to reflect on this as they were grounded, uh, that they were able to accomplish a lot more together than they would ever be able to accomplish on their own. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about, is how can we work better together as a church? Because we're, we're going to be able to accomplish far more together than any one of us would be able to uh, by ourselves. Nehemiah understood this. In fact, uh, Nehemiah understood he was going to need the help of all the people of, of Jerusalem and the surrounding even regions if they were going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He, ne- he knew they needed a strategy. And his strategy was, we've got to start with the walls. They wanted to rebuild the entire city. But you've got to start with the walls. Because if people can just keep coming in to your city and destroying the houses and the temple you're trying to rebuild, um, you're never going to get anywhere. So we've got to start with our defenses. We've got to build our walls. And he realized something else. We even, before we even start on the walls, we've got to rebuild our gates. Because the gates are the most important part of the wall. This is how people come in. This is how people exit. We need to be strategic where these gates are located. In fact, I think I have a graphic for you. You can see this is what the outline of the city of Jerusalem looked like in Nehemiah's day. Those gaps that you see, those are where the gates are. You can see some of these gates, like the water gate, the valley gate, you've got the old gate, the fish gate, you've got these various gates. In fact, I have a picture as well of one of these. Uh, this is a modern day image that people can tour in Jerusalem of one of these gates. Uh, obviously, this has uh, you know, been rebuilt um, since Nehemiah's time. But it kind of gives you an idea how, how large these walls were and how big uh, these, these gates were. So you can imagine this is a, a, a huge, huge task. And so Nehemiah recognized something. He realized we need a plan We need a strategy if we're going to rebuild our walls, our gates, and therefore our city. And so just to start this morning, I want to talk about our plan as a church and and, and kind of help us to understand what our gates are. And we've got four of them, four goals that we are shooting for this fall. Okay, here's the first one. We want to go to two services. Starting in October, first week of October, we are planning to go back to uh, our two-service format. I challenged this last week. We want to see you guys. We want to see you. And I'm talking to those of you who are watching online. We know that some of you just can't get to church right now. We know some of you, you have health issues or you're you're with someone who has a health issue or some kind of job situation. But I do want to challenge you to be here if you can because it is so good to see you. It is so good to see your face. We love it when you are here. Here's my litmus test for you, okay? If you've gone to a restaurant where you walked four feet with your mask on and then sat down in your booth and took your mask off with the cook doing God knows what to your food, And a waiter or waitress bringing out your food, breathing. Uh, Listen, you can come to church. That's my litmus test for it. If you've done that, I want to see you here. The other week, two weeks ago, I was standing out in the lobby, and I don't know what these two gentlemen were talking about. But I saw someone reach over, uh, one of these gentlemen, and he put his hand on the other person's shoulder, and he prayed for him. And so there was just this prayer. I don't know what they were praying about. I don't know what the conversation was. It uh, probably wasn't very COVID friendly with his hand. But listen, that's the kind of stuff that happens when we're here in community uh, t- together. That's the kind of stuff that is harder to do when we can only be online. Now, again, let me say, I want you to know if all you can do is watch online right now, we love you. We've actually invested in new equipment so that we can make the experience uh, as, 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 you know, best quality as possible. Uh, for you and maybe your family. Uh, But I want you to just hear in my heart, we love seeing you. We love when you are here uh, at church. And so when we go to two services, I really want to challenge you to consider uh, coming back. Okay, here's the second thing, uh, second goal we're shooting for uh, starting this fall. And this will start again the first week of October. We're going to open up our Sunday morning children's ministry again. Um, Now we're going to, yeah, (laughs) I see some of us Parents, yes. Um, We we we're gonna need volunteers to do it though. That's that's the reality. We're gonna need volunteers to do it. But this is we guys. We're open. We believe in our children's ministry. My daughter Callie, she just said to me, she said, "Daddy, I I miss Ari." Well, guess what? Ari is one of her friends that she sees here on Sunday mornings. And I hope your friends or your kids have friends like that, that they I miss. They need each other. It's not just us adults that need community right now. Our kids need to be here. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to be around their friends who love Jesus. I, I would say more so than ever before am I seeing a time where our children need one another and to be in the church. And so we are excited to be able to get this, uh, this, this ministry up and uh, running again. I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but I came across this in in Nehemiah 3.12, and I thought this was interesting. This is why it says, it says, uh, uh, Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, he repaired the next section of the wall with the help of his daughters. And I love that. What we see there is a family working together. And I want to say to some of you families who maybe you have teens or you have older kids, maybe you guys could consider working together as a family unit in our children's ministry. I mean, if, if, if you would just do that once a month, we would probably have more volunteers than, than we know, you know, to do with. And so I want to challenge you families out there maybe to consider stepping up and serving together. You know, Jesus, he, he says that when, when you welcome a child in my name, you welcome Who? He says, you welcome me. And so we better be a church that's serious about welcoming the little ones and raising up the next generation to know Jesus. So I'm super excited. My wife is super excited (laughs) that we're going to be opening up our children's ministry uh, the first week of October. Please help us to do that. Third goal gate that we're aiming for uh, is is our small group ministry. We want to get our small group ministry off the ground again in October. Again, if there was ever a time where we needed each other, if we needed community, uh, that time is now, I, I believe. It's, it's great to be here on Sunday and to hear the vision and, and to be a part of what's happening in the church. But we also need to go deeper. And uh, you can dive deeper through a small group. So maybe some of you even f- feel it kind of, you know, stirring up in your heart to start a small group. Uh, I want to encourage you in that. Our, our new philosophy in that is, we would challenge you to go and find some people, find some friends that can help you uh, get that group off the ground. Because in the past where we've just had someone say, yeah, I'm interested in starting a group, and we kind of put out a sign-up sheet, no one, you know, people are leery to sign up for a group where it's just like it's just going to be me and the leader. Okay? So if you're thinking about signing up or starting a group, kind of grab a core around you, then we can put that sign up out there. It's a lot easier than to get people to sign up. We encourage some of you, I think God's going to stir some of you to want to uh, start your own small group this fall, and you can talk to Pastor Josh about uh, how to do that. Last thing, though, it's kind of our last big goal. We want to communicate better our fight for family ministry, I've, I've talked to people, some of you who have even been around for a while, and, and you've said to me, like, I've seen the logo, and I've heard this expression, fight for family, but what is it? Well, it tells me we haven't done a very good job communicating our fight for family ministry. And just to back up, our fight for family ministry, it's an initiative we have to help families thrive by making Jesus Christ at the center of the home. Okay? We do that by strengthening marriages We partner with Family Life. We encourage you every year to go to the Weekend to Remember conference. Uh, Danielle and I have gone twice to that, and it's been fantastic. Every time we've gone, we encourage you to do that because that's one way we can strengthen our marriages. Uh, We we do that by helping you, partnering with you to raise your your kids. We're not going to raise your kids for you. We push back against that. You know, sometimes we have this mentality. The church raises my kids for me. No, 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 no. Mom and dad, we want you to be pastors, to see yourself as pastors in your own home. We will partner with you and come alongside of you to help you and be another voice in your child's life. That's why I love, um, you just heard earlier about uh, our prayer partners. Think about that, mom and dad. If you have a high schooler here at the church, there is gonna be someone dedicated to praying for your child each and every day. Think about that. There might be something that would have happened in your child's life, but somebody was praying for them and it doesn't happen. Who knows what kind of fruit might be produced in your high schooler's life because somebody was praying for them. Who knows what kind of door of opportunity might open to them Because somebody was praying for you. What I'm trying to help you understand is what a huge advantage you're giving your high schooler when you are a part of this fight for family initiative. That's what we want to be. We want to be a church that prays. It's not just biological family. We are a church family. We all have a part to play. Whether you have kids or you don't have kids, you can be a part of helping to raise up the next generation. And so I love our prayer partner, Milestone, we call these things milestones, these, these events that we, we see as a big deal in a family's life. You know, you have the, the, the Bible presentation coming up, the first graders and seventh graders. Mom and dad go through a class and are equipped to understand the importance of the Bible and why the Bible matters. And then mom and dad write a note to their child that we hope that child will keep that Bible with that note in it for the rest of their, the rest of their life. What an important milestone in a child's life, seeing and experiencing the importance of Scripture in their life. you got child dedication, where, again, mom and dad go through a class, and they are taught how to pray specifically for their children, prayers of power, where they can learn how to fight for their child's future. This is important stuff. This is important. And this is why we're passionate about this here at Edinburgh Church. We want to help raise up the next generation to know God, and we want to help families to thrive by having Jesus Christ at the center of the home. And so these are kind of our four big things. Two services, Sunday morning children's ministry, back up and running, small groups running again, and we want to do a better job communicating our fight for family opportunities. The question for us is how are we going to achieve all this as a church, okay? Okay. And, uh, you know, as you look at Nehemiah 3, Nehemiah 3 is kind of a preacher's worst nightmare. Because you read it, it's all this list of names, and we see that they're they're able to to do some rebuilding. But as I study it, there are two big things that stood out to me in, in chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Two things, and here's the first one. We're going to achieve these goals as a church by, first off, making sacrifice. We're going to have to be willing to make sacrifice. Okay, verse one says this: "says at the sheep gate, Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests, they began rebuilding, and they dedicated it and installed its doors." Okay, talking about the the, the sheep gate here. Now, the sheep gate is significant because the sheep gate was was close to the temple, and you can and you can. Tell by the name what passed through this gate, sheep, that came into Jerusalem to be sacrificed in the temple. The first gate that Nehemiah had them tackle was the gate that was used so sacrifice could come in and God could be worshipped. In other words, Nehemiah realized we got to put God first. We've got to get back to to remembering Jerusalem and Judah is ultimately God's. It is about God. It's not ultimately even about us. It's about God and his kingdom. And we've got to have sheep coming in again so that we can make our sacrifice and worship our God. Today, we, we don't sacrifice sheep anymore because we have the ultimate sacrifice that's been made for us in Jesus Christ who made the sacrifice to pay the price for our sin. But we are still called to make sacrifice today. We're still called to be a sacrifice today. We see this in Romans 12, 1, where Paul, he says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, talking about the gospel here, view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. We are supposed to be a living sacrifice. Are you, are you living your life that way? Not just things you do, but you, you see yourself. I am a living sacrifice to God. Holy, meaning set apart, not like the world, and, and pleasing to God. You might wonder, well, what does that mean exactly to be a living sacrifice? I put this definition in your handout if you're taking notes. I said, I am a living sacrifice when I lay down my preferences in order to please God and love other people. I'm a living sacrifice when I lay down my preferences in order to please God and love other people people. Let me ask you another question. When was it the last time? Can you think of a time recently where you laid down your preference for the sake of someone else? You know, it kind of goes against our American mindset, doesn't it? I mean, in America kind of is America. I, I, you know, I am to be first. I am to be served. I am to get my way, uh, This idea, it's so radical, of of being willing to lay down my preference in order to serve somebody else. That that can be a very hard thing, challenging thing for us to do as Americans. Let me just give you a couple examples of this. Sometimes as a pastor, you know, somebody will come to me and, and, and maybe say something like, you know, pastor, I don't really like that worship song. And I just want you to know my heart. I wish I could make everybody happy. I really do. I wish I could please all of you. But I have learned something in this role. I just can't. I can't please everyone. I mean, it's kind of like you take your, your, you know, your kids out to eat somewhere. And if you've got a bunch of... You know someone in the family isn't going to like where you're going, Right? Like, everybody in my family loves Chipotle except my son, Logan. That's why we've run DNA tests. We've done all this. Stuff. Like, is he my son? It's impossible to please everyone. And sometimes that's the case with our worship or our worship style. It's like, you know, pastor, it's just not really my cup of, 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 of tea, But maybe that's one way we could be a living sacrifice is if there's a song or there's a style or something. Because here's what I've also learned for every one complaint, like for every one person who says, I don't like that. Here's what you have to understand. There are 10 other people who like it. There are 10 other people who enjoy it. And so one way you could be a living sacrifice is I'm laying down my preference, okay, because I know there's others who enjoy it. And it does lift them up to God. That's why I love our, our 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 seniors here, our seasoned citizens. You know, they'll say to me, friends, they don't like our worship. <laughs> but they're like, you know what I do? I turn down my hearing aid and I read the lyrics and I can worship God to the lyrics because I realize it's reaching the next generation. That's being a living sacrifice. Okay? Let me give you another one. This one's really controversial right now. How about the mask? <laughs> Now, I just want to let you in on your pastor's heart a little bit so you can pray for me, okay? Um, I have all kinds of conspiracy theories about the mask. (laughs) Maybe some of you do too. I do. All right, it involves like George Soros, the New World Order, the Nephilim are involved in my conspiracies, Now, could I be wrong? No, I'm not wrong, okay? These are my opinions. But what I've learned is before my politics, before my conspiracies, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So my philosophy is if if I'm around people who wear the mask, guess what I do? I wear the mask. And if I'm around people who don't feel like the mask is, is, is all that helpful, I don't wear the mask. But my point is, we've got to be willing to lay down our preference, not for because of what we but for the good of others. That's how you and I can live as living sacrifices, pleasing to God, and loving others. Uh, Peter, he sums it up really well. So he's summing up his own letter in First Peter. He says, Finally, all of you, be like minded in the gospel. As a follower of Jesus, be sympathetic of others. And he says, Love one another, be compassionate and humble. Hard for us to do sometimes here in America, but this is what we are called to do as followers of Christ. So first, we're going to achieve all these things we want to achieve this fall by being willing to make sacrifice, okay? But two, we're going to do this by working together. By working together. We kind of get a glimpse of this in Nehemiah 3, verses 6 through 9, this little summary. Listen to this. It says, The old gate was repaired by Otta, son of Passia and Meshelam. I'm going to butcher these names. Son of, I'm just going to say Bethany there, okay? (laughs) Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mitzpah, places under the authority of the governor of trans-Euphrates. Notice this, different political system, different politics here. Okay? Uh, Uziel. Uh, son of Harhar, okay, Uh, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. We got a goldsmith, we got a perfume maker. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall, and then Ralph, son of Hur, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, so now we have a, a high ruler, repaired the next section. This is a very interesting passage because what we see happening is we see this diversity taking place in the rebuilding of the wall. They're diverse, but they're unified. I mean, you got people of different political systems. you got people from different tribes and regions, different ethnicities. You've got people of different classes. You've got a, you've got a goldsmith. You've got a perfume maker. And then you've also got a, got a ruler. And yet they're all coming together to help rebuild, unified, Working together. This got me thinking of um, something the, the, that Paul teaches us about the church. And how we're supposed to be unified. Because sometimes we come to church and we have this expectation. Like, you know, we, we, we have staff. We have pastors. And uh, they are the ones who are to do all the work. That's not what the Bible teaches, friends. That That is not... That is not what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Uh, Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, the body is a unit, though it is composed of many parts, okay? And although its parts are many, they all form one body, the body of Christ. He says, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit here that we have in Christ, we were all baptized into one body. Listen to this. Whether Jews or Greeks, different people groups, different ethnicities, slave or free, different classes, and we were all given one spirit to drink. For the body does not consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We say, well, I'm not like that other person, or I can't do what that other person is doing. Maybe I don't have a part to play here. And, and Paul's saying that is not the case. He says, maybe some say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. He said, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, if everybody was like that one person, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, listen to this. God has arranged the members of the body, every one of you, according to his design. You ever thought about that? That you are here at Edinburgh Church by God's design? Or or if you're visiting, you are a part of another church body and you are there as a part of God's design. Like God in his sovereignty calls us to various churches. It means you have a part to play. There there is something for you to do. And so my encouragement to you, you have to find your niche. What what is that thing that you are to do as a part of the body of Christ? I put this in your handout too, kind of a definition. What is it? How How do you find your niche? or What does it mean to be in your niche? My niche equals what I enjoy doing plus what I'm good at. What I enjoy doing plus what I'm good at. Now, sometimes we enjoy doing something, but it's not really what we're we're good at. I learned this many years ago. Uh, I was in college, and I was a part of a worship team. And the worship leader was going to be gone for that week. So he said, Brent, will you just fill in? Will you lead this worship team? And I enjoyed it. And in fact, I was looking so forward to it. It was an absolute train wreck. I mean, I was singing. I could hear dogs howling, okay? I think a cat went into heat. It was, it was so bad. I, I'm kidding. I, I, this, I'm not exaggerating about this. It was so bad. The youth leader came out. I was supposed to do a third song. And he just came out and said, we're going to go to small group time now. It had us all part ways. It was, it was terrible. You know what I learned? That is not my niche. And you need to understand that what Amanda and the worship team do up here on the weekend, it is a gifting that has been given to them by God to do this. Here's what you need to understand. You have some gifting as well, something that God has called you to do as part of your niche. Now, sometimes we're not good at something right away, but it's because we're a diamond in the rough. And so we need to give ourselves patience and grace and time to grow in what God might want us to do. I, I, many of you have heard this story about the first time I gave a message and, and preached. Um, I remember it was in this setting where we would have people give us feedback. I had an instructor. And before it was my time to get up and give the message, I had a panic attack. I mean, I thought... I thought I was gonna die, like literally. I thought my heart was gonna stop beating. I was so nervous. I was sweating, and then I got up there to give this message, and I was, I was, I was just, I was an absolute mess. I got through my notes, and the instructor was like, ah, "Does anyone have any questions for Brent?" And uh, they were like, "Yeah, is he okay?" They were like his content was good, but he seemed a little nervous, and that's because I was. In fact, I still—I'm really—I still get anxious. I still get a battle nervousness. You guys are a scary group, especially with those masks on. You look like you want to hurt me. But I love you, and I've grown, and. I've learned things like it's not about ultimately pleasing anyone. It's about preaching truth and pleasing God. And there's just been some things that have helped me in, in, this, in, in this role. I've had to grow into it. And that's my point. Like, some of you, you're a diamond in the rough. All this to say, learning your niche is more of an art than it is a science. And the best way to discover what your niche is is just to experiment. Just try new things. You know, we give you full permission here. If you volunteer for something and it's not your niche, you don't enjoy doing it, you're just like, I'm not really helping out here. Listen, we give you full permission to try something. Try something else. With that said, though, I feel led to say this. Um, One of the gifts that the Apostle Paul talks about is just the gift of service. And I believe oftentimes in churches, that's what many people have. They just have the gift of when there is a gap in the wall, they step up to fix that. Gap. And some of you, that's what's going to bring you joy. That's what's going to cause you to go home and and worship and and be praising God that you got used. Was simply when you saw a need here at Edinburgh Church, you stepped in and filled that need. Here's what I don't want to happen I don't want you to be the nobles of Tekoa that we read about in Nehemiah 3 5. Listen to this. They get called out by the Bible. God has this written down. Listen to this. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Man, apparently they thought they were too good for this kind of work. For whatever reason, they didn't step up and do their job and Nehemiah calls them out. Now, I'm never gonna call you out. I will talk about you behind your back, but I will never publicly Okay, call you out. But here, friends, I don't want you to be the nobles of Tekoa. Because here is the reality. And I hope you know this is coming from a heart of love and a care for you and the church. One day you are going to stand before Jesus. You are going to stand in front of the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords, and you might get a little aggravated with me challenging you to step up and be a part of this rebuilding process. But I promise those of you who take that step, say, yeah, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to do my part. Listen to me. On that day when you stand in front of Jesus, you are going to be so glad you had a pastor who challenged you rather than one who just let you slide by and be like the nobles of Tokoa. My goal for each and every one of you is to someday stand before Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that for each of you. Don't forget how much Jesus loves his church. And I'm gonna end with this. Here's what I believe we need more of today in the church. And right here at Edinburgh Church, we need more unity. I want to challenge us to be a church united. United around Jesus Christ. The perfect one who came into this world, who died on a cross for each and every one of our sins, who raised for us from the grave and now is in heaven empowering us, each and every one of us to be a part of his body. I want us to be united around this Christ I want that to be a deeper reality for us than our politics. A deeper reality for us than what we think about the mask or things here at the church that we don't like and wish were different. Jesus says this just before he goes to the, the cross. He says this to his disciples. He says, as I have loved you, so you also must love me one another. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, this is what Jesus is calling us to. To be a church united, a people who love one another and do that by showing grace after grace. Grace upon grace to each other. We're going to need lots of grace. I need lots of grace. And I bet you do too. But if we will have the heart of Christ, I'm telling you, the world is going to look at Edinburgh Church and they are going to see a people who come from different backgrounds, different classes, different ethnicities, different race. They're going to see a people who have all kinds of differences, but come together in the name of Jesus and stand united. And I'm telling you, that is what the world wants. And in Christ, we can be that kind of church. And my prayer for us is that we will be that city on a hill, that light to those around us. Amen? Amen, Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for how you're working here at Edinburgh Church. You have a mission. You want to see your kingdom advanced and enhanced here in our community and across the world. And so, Lord, I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to ask by your spirit, uniting us as the body of Christ, that we would be that example to the world around us. Give us grace so that we can show grace to others. And may we put, being a follower of your son, Jesus, above any other calling, above any other politic, above any other disagreement in our life, so that we can model Jesus-style love to our world that so desperately needs it. Lord, we're going to ask you to do this work right here at Edinburgh Church and help us to accomplish these goals, to build these gates and these walls back up. And we trust by faith that you're going to do that this fall. We pray this in Jesus' name.